0: Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Wiesneck, co-president of Cowan & Company, and welcome to our first podcast of 2022. As always, I'm here with my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, Senior Fellow at the Wharton Business School, and today we are once again joined by my partner, Grant Miller, Cowan's Head of Capital Markets. The three of us last sat down to discuss the state of the capital markets in June of 2021, and now in February 2022, we're ready to pick up the discussion where we last left it off. So David, I turn it over to you. It's been a while since we last sat down, and I'm excited to kick off our discussion.
1: Great, thanks, Larry, Uh, and welcome again, Grant. Uh, So, look forward to having a robust conversation uh, about, you know, kind of dovetail with some of the topics we talked about last summer. So, obviously, the markets have changed pretty dramatically since we got all got together last summer. Where do you think we are now, and how are you advising companies to prepare for the near term? Larry, why don't you start?
0: For the first time in many, many years we're dealing with a backdrop of really global. Sometimes we, we think from the US, we start with the Fed and work backwards. But if you think on a global basis, central banks are beginning to take some of the liquidity out of the market. And so we're going in the beginning of a tightening cycle and for many market participants, this is something that they've either never experienced or if they did, it was when they were much earlier in their careers. We've had roughly a decade of almost uninterrupted, um, you know, uh, loose and loosening financial conditions. And I think that that is the you know, the number one item that's out there in the backdrop of the market. Now, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing it because of, you know after so many years of providing liquidity, um, it does feel as if the conditions warrant it. Secondly, while we hadn't had fiscal um, loosening uh, for a long time, when the pandemic kicked in, uh, the U.S. and other governments uh, did provide significant benefits to offset the impact. And now we're seeing the other side of that. We're seeing uh, certainly at least short-term inflation pick up. Uh, Expectations for future inflation continue to be more elevated than where we've lived in for the last 15 years. And that's creating an environment where, um, the you know central banks are moving what I'll call toward neutral, because even with the moves that they're they're contemplating, we're not moving to a tight monetary environment, but we're moving from very very loose to to less loose, and the market's been pricing that in, and what we've seen is everything from the higher growth areas that are the most impacted, if you have higher interest rates and if you have inflation at higher levels. They've traded off dramatically, but we've also seen volatility across really you know, all areas of the equity market. We've seen it, obviously, in rates, uh, and we're starting to see it in credit. So I think that we are you know, two months plus into that recalibration re, 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 um, by the markets, and um, I don't think we're out of the woods yet, but I do think a significant portion of what's known now, you know, there's no known knowns, known unknowns. The known known here is that we're moving to tightening and it's become priced in. And so Graham, maybe I'll kick it over to you sure. to talk about that.
2: Yeah, so I think that just how that relates to the activity in the capital markets is significant. Um, I'll maybe uh, hold the, the credit side for a, a moment and just talk a little bit about the equity markets. Where we are today, I think it's important actually to take a little bit of a step back. The S&P is still trading at 20 times 22 earnings. That's not a bad place from a from valuation perspective. So. The, the um, What we're seeing in the equity markets is uneven, and we can certainly talk more about how that relates to capital markets, particularly in growth industries, because I think that, that's important. Also, what's happened in these situations when we've seen uh, rates hike and, and, and capital not be, is really available, is what we saw last year, really for the last 18 months, is retail coming back to the equity markets, helping deals get done in a very material way. That is really... Gone away almost completely. It snaps, uh, snaps off, you know, reasonably quickly. And so, where are we today? We're in a situation where the uh, the, the capital markets are are, are quiet, uh, but we've seen this before, and we know that things come back. And there just needs to be a little bit of a resetting of folks, both getting used to their new valuations, and as we can talk about a little bit later, investors still did to make money. And in the near term, when we have this resettlement of kind of where where um, deals are coming and where, and where indices are, it does take a little bit of time. What we're seeing as a general trend is that the deals that are coming are have the, have the following characteristic, which is you have to be supported by those who already have been supporting you. Existing investors, public and private, are supporting deals. And that's really where we are. And until we see New investors coming back into deals and making money. I think that's going to persist at least for the the short term. But I'm a um. But I really believe in efficient markets, and so this too will change, as price that deals get priced and companies get priced appropriately, and will be on the way back up. So how does this? Uh, I think Dave, you asked about you know how does it change what we tell companies or what we're talking. And I'll I'll try to say this. Um, in a way that gives it a football analogy, since we're gonna be coming up here, um, you know, they end a football season, which is, and maybe a little bit of a dig to Larry's team, the Jets, and, and uh, supporting my team, the Patriots, which is, I think that in these situations, when things are uncertain, management really matters in a very material way. And so today, I think that, that when, when you look at situations, um, you need to make sure that, that you have the wherewithal either in traditional financings or in financings that might be, that you haven't considered before to make sure that you're, that you're planning for the future, including your, you know, your existing, and these are really comments for, for companies that either have, you know, maturities that are coming up or spending money and how it relates to the Jets versus Patriots is that I think over a long period of time, it's a great um, microcosm because every NFL team has the, same, has the same opportunities. Some institutions and some management teams parentally figure out a way to to be winners um, and others are less fortunate sometimes. So that, that, that may have um, uh, aggravated a lot of listeners who also don't like the Patriots. I, I think the two of you are, uh, you know, among them, but at least it's a, an analogy of, of- L- leave it to God. a Patriots fan to bring
1: up the Patriots on the week of Super Bowl, even though yeah. they're not
2: in the,
0: Super Bowl. I'm a little wounded. I'm a little wounded by that, um, <laughs> but I understand the analogy and we'll just roll on to the next question. Okay, right. very good.
1: So, so let's talk, let's talk about, the IPO market. Obviously it was a huge market or a record market last year for IPOs as well as SPAC mergers and something on the order of 80% of those companies that, that went public last year are now trading below the level they went public at. So for those newly public companies, uh, what's the na- nature of your discussions in this environment?
2: Yeah. So look, it's, um, and and if, we re-listened to what we did back in June. I, I think that we started to talk about this because we saw some unevenness even back then. And so I'll just reflect on this, that, that, that very overwhelming 80% or below deal price. That is true, both for IPOs as well as SPAC mergers. However, um, when, you, when you think particularly in the SPAC market where, where valuations are struck six months before closings and you have an equity market that is declining, Um, I think that that can be understandable in terms of the context. It's similar for, you know, for IPOs and just in that, in that, um, in that type of environment, Uh, what's happening to those. And and if you look back, you know, the valuations also um, were, you know, were extended, you know, I was just looking at some of these statistics. um, The median post money value for IPOs last year was about a billion two. That's. Uh, up from $800 million in 2020. And so last year was also a year, just to, to, to look at it historically, as a high valuation year. So things, things have happened. So now it's reset. And, and the question is, is it reset to something that is sustainable to go forward? So again, I think that the, you know, where companies are right now, particularly those that have gone recently public, <clears throat> is they're trying to get the attention of, of enough investors to, to care and to recare care as they look at opportunities and um, going forward. From a capital markets perspective, today that may not be follow-on offerings that are the most typical next transaction to do for, you know, for folks. And so that enters into the, the equation of, are there others? Are there convertibles if there's a, if there's a, if there's a capital need? And what are you doing in this interim period to be able to support um, your existing investors, your research analysts who who are out there to keep the news flow coming and stay active and not hide during this period of time? I think that is really what needs to happen until until we see some of that normalization come back. Larry, how about you? Well,
0: listen, I I think there's lessons learned from other periods where we've come off of high valuations. uh, I, I certainly don't believe that we are on many other facets analogous to the period post the dot com bubble bursting, but I do think on valuation that is an area where we can make comparisons. The companies that came public during that period at, at let's say elevated values, at least certainly six months later they looked elevated after the market traded off, and the lessons then similar the lessons that we would have seen in April of of let's say. 2020, when the pandemic kicked in, is the first thing companies need to do is make sure that they are running their businesses in a way where they are um, assuring that they have the capital, the cash on hand, to manage their businesses. In some businesses, that means slowing down their spend. Um, In others, that means raising capital, as Grant just said, in different ways than they might have anticipated so that they can continue to build out against their strategy. But you, you always have to look at, do you have to change your strategy based on the different market environment? And I think the using Grant's example of the Patriots, better managements, and Grant, I'll give you that one, um, but better managements recognize that when when the rules of change around you, you have to change. And the markets um, put limitations on companies, right? We've gone from a market that had very little limitations before, to significant limitations now. So I think that's really, when you talk about the nature of our discussions, a lot of it is what do we do to make sure that we are continue to execute on our plan? Do I change the plan or do I change the way of finance? And that's a, an enormous amount of the work. And it's, by the way, it's not just with public companies, it's also with private companies where their opportunities have changed as well, so. So
1: Grant, you talked a little bit about convertibles uh, a little bit. So so let's go beyond just convertibles and talk about some of the implications of the rising rates in in not only the convertible market, but also the broader debt markets.
2: Sure. And um, so I think that it certainly both hold in terms of, you know, what's happening, the overall sentiment out there. Um, So I think that it's still reasonably early in this as a rate of just a relative climb and the question is you know how far will they necessarily go I guess my view is um, a couple of things again maybe just his, looking historically we're still in a historical low rate environment so this is not like we're you know back in the 80s when you when you had real you know um, you know real high rates and so we're back maybe where we were at the end of 19 so this is not anything that that is i would say um, dramatic at this point point. and then you look at Things like you know sponsors and Larry will have a broader perspective on this, but valuations are also now coming into you know coming back in. So those two combined, actually, from a from a new issue perspective, on, on uh, particularly with sponsors, actually can make some sense. And if you think about that, um, the rates going up, and w- really what's happening on in deals as the private credit markets have grown so substantially. Um, they're virtually the same level where the leveraged loan market is in terms of the overall size, and four to five times where it was just 10 years ago. So it's really changed the dynamic. And what's happened in the last couple of years is yes, interest rates are higher, but the competition for deals is also much more significant. So what we're seeing in our business <clears throat> is that as these fund, c- private credit funds compete for these transactions, we're actually seeing an overall you know, lowering or tightening of their spread with regard to what's happening. So some of this early stage of rate hikes, I actually think, has been mitigated with regard to the competition for those opportunities. And so I think that you know, so so far, I, you know, I, I'm not anticipating a big a big uh, shift unless in, in rates really go crazy. But we're still at the beginning of innings, it might be. So, so Larry, how about from
1: the sponsor perspective? To what degree are you seeing uh, the rate, you know, expectations of rate rises yeah. impacting sponsor deal flow?
0: So, so David, I've, I've tried in our podcast to focus on those areas where, where we spend a lot of time. So I, I will you know, direct this much more to the, the broad middle market sponsors where we spend our time versus say, the mega private equity funds that would be doing much larger deals. And by the way, I actually think the middle market sponsors are, in this case, in this type of an environment, potentially, you know, relatively benefited versus larger folks. And the reason for that is that in the middle mid-market, um, what, what Graham was just talking about, the private credit investors, the direct lenders, th- that is the source of, of funding on the debt side for a middle market deal. Uh, they're not relying on the high-yield market at all. Uh, in fact, the vast majority of middle market transactions are completely financed either from sponsor equity or from direct lenders um, or the club market, so to speak. And um, why is that group um, relatively benefited? Well, it's because it's library based funding. So in a world where rates are rising, the investor in in that debt um, is not penalized from rising rates or we'll call being hurt by duration. So um, we are seeing more money Yeah, on a relative basis going into those direct lenders, because if you wanted to have a credit exposure, where would you rather have it in a floating rate instrument or in a fixed rate instrument? And so what we're finding is the the market is really deep, which means sponsors today versus say six months ago are finding that they're a better bid today than they were before. They still can have really good debt financing to back their deals their long significant capital they've raised. And they've been waiting for a time where with the public market backing up a bit, um, they maybe can get a deal they've been targeting and they were, they thought it got rich at whatever, you know, 14 times EBITDA. And maybe now they can have an entry point at 12 times. And they can still get the same debt financing. So therefore it's a better return profile for, for their investors. So we, we think that, you know, as we look at 22, It's going to be a very good year for um, sponsor-backed transactions, and in particular, if I were to say, where does that who gets implicated by that? It's I think the family-owned businesses that are looking for um, a partner uh, where they might sell their business either majority or minority, and then have a sponsor helping them buy other businesses, grow their business, um, as well as you know some of the lower middle market sponsor deals that were maybe done three, four years ago, they've made improvements in the business. Now that company is a $50 million EBITDA company, and they're going to sell to most likely a larger sponsor. So we're seeing all of that. And we're also seeing, even with the beginning of rates increasing, we're seeing people do recaps. So we're, we're definitely seeing in the lever- in the middle market um, a lot of, you know, well, maybe now is not the right time to sell. But what I will do is with the additional cash flow, I'll, you know, restrike my debt, do a recap, take some more equity out. And so it's pretty vibrant uh, in the middle market sponsor world right now.
2: And maybe, and I'll just add a a, a couple other things just in the conversation. So where our private capital solutions group really does everything X, you know, ECM, including all this work in the private uh, credit world. And so what we're seeing is really, those funds being flexible, so we we talking a lot about sponsors, but let's take a step you know a little bit broader. These funds were also uh, looking at hybrid debt securities, preferreds, private convertibles. It's really a new world out there with regard to solutions for companies to be able to, to address their needs in a way that's a little bit changed. And the other piece, and maybe a little, as I was thinking about this, you guys are chatting with historically, and we all remember um, you know some of the. Anxiety, and I certainly heard this from some clients around. You know, what is this like you know before the financial crisis when 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 um, things were so loose? I actually don't think so, because there's a lot more equity going into deals uh, to you know to start. And frankly, in the last few years, th- there's been a lot of issuance, and it's been a lot of covenant light. So I don't think that we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have or we're necessarily going to have in the near term any credit issues. And so actually, I think the market is reasonably healthy from those perspectives. Great. So let's kind of,
1: Grant, we talked a little bit about how the, you know, the IPO market and the SPAC merger market has changed pretty significantly. Um, And as well as with valuations coming off broadly in many of the emerging growth sectors uh, that were very active last year, I assume like we've seen in previous periods where we go through this kind of correction phase or resetting phase, that issuance is gonna shift to more defensive sectors like traditional energy, industrials, consumer staples. To what degree are you seeing that today and expect that in the near term? And are there any other changes that are taking place now
2: or that you expect going forward? So um, it's really an interesting question. And so I think the short answer is that I think it's a little early to see those changes really emerge, because we're just at a at a at a lull right now as this resetting, as you as you say, is kind of we're in a little bit of the middle of, and and I think that's very very natural. Um, it is also true that if we just look at the last few years in terms of IPOs, um, that about seventy five percent over the last few years of the IPOs have been. In disruptive industries, tech and healthcare specifically, seventy-five percent in those two industries. If we go back to just the the post-financial crisis, those two industries accounted for less than forty percent of the overall issuance. And between those two time points, you see kind of a little bit of a of a you know the, you know connecting the dots, if you will. And so, do I expect that there's going to be some reversion? And having more balance to, to, the, to the markets and what investors are looking for? Absolutely. So I think there's gonna be value in companies that have um, both growth, because that people still want growth in their portfolios, but also more consistent performance with regard to understanding and being up to the next inflection point. So I'm expecting it. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that we've necessarily seen it. Although if, I, if we look at our backlog, I, I, I do see that that um, the backlog has been in more, let's say, traditional consumer, for example, where we're seeing a lot more things come up. But that's, you know, this is also a trend line that's that's stretching over months, not just you know maybe just the the last couple uh, you know weeks and months as to the market has started to to slow down a bit in terms of the into those areas. And it does point out, and I think this is maybe what I referenced at the beginning and come back to it, which is the market's been uneven in terms of what's working and not what's not working. And I think there's a, there's a, and a lot of it is hitting the deal market. And so if I just look at the last um, month, if you just look at January, for example, where the indexes were, I think is telling. So this, our part, part of our important business is, is financing biotech companies. The, the small cap biotech index in XBI in January is down 16 17%. The highest risk part of that market, basically. But then if you go and you, you look at um, other areas, so last month, NASDAQ, which I consider kind of the next large threshold, right, uh, was down nine. S&P is five. Dow Jones, three. And so it's this unevenness is, is, is there. And we're starting to see some of that um earlier stage, um, higher multiple sectors, biotech, and also tech, start to really um, have have diversion. Maybe the rest is catching up with a little bit, but it is, it's not all one size one size fits all. It, it really has been depending on what's going on in, in, in individual sectors.
0: I think Grant brings up some really interesting points. And I think the one that is maybe the hardest for folks who aren't following the deal calendar and aren't following the sub indices is to recognize um, that the markets always overshoot. So even implicit in your question, David, it, you know when we, we, we talk about what's happened over the last year, um, there are companies that overshot on the high end, meaning that their values maybe, if you looked at the beginning of 2020, we would have thought they were worth 400 million dollars. They came public. At two billion, because the market had completely revalued growth, and now they're down fifty percent post-IPO or post-back merger, and they're billion-dollar companies, right? If you had told their private investors at the beginning of twenty that it was a five hundred million-dollar company and it's going to trade at a billion two post-IPO, they would have been thrilled. But it doesn't feel great because it went to two billion and came back down to a billion billion two, and I think we're starting to see that now on the other side, which is the. If for the first time, I'm starting to feel, and I say first time meaning over the last month, that the sell-off in some of the disruptive areas may have taken them down to where relative to intrinsic value, they start to look as if they're they're more valuable than some of the private companies that recently raised money and basically you know, are sitting at a valuation that maybe that's what's overvalued, right? Meaning the, the last raise the private company made Was predicated on a public market that looks different how that works through in terms of deal issuance is i think that slows down the disruptive names coming to the ipo market they raised money nine months ago in a private round at an elevated level the the public already public companies to grant's point figure out how to either husband cash or raise capital different ways they become bigger winners they've got more capital they could then do acquisitions one of these we're expecting to see is mergers among some of these companies in the in some of the growth areas because they can de-risk by having more shots on goal. We expect to see that. We've seen that in prior periods. Certainly in biotech, we expect to see that in ports of tech. But then I also think when we talk about industrials, consumer, even some of the things in energy, the businesses that might come public now, or you see issuance from now, they, they may be in spaces that are old spaces, but guess what? They're tech-enabled. Their margins are better than they would have been five years ago. They, they are using technologies to change their industries. And they're almost somewhere between what we'll call the disruptive spaces and the historical. In some respect, they're disruptors within old school industries. And so I think that's going to be a lot of what we see in 22 is that churning. Um, and uh, I do think that it's going to make for a really interesting time. And I do think the public to public m and opportunities Uh, Among companies that recently went public is going to surprise people to the upside.
2: I do do want to just maybe add one last thing, and I know we're going to go on to the next question, but um, we look at these things, these trends, and I think that the market self correction mechanism is alive and well. So we look at, I've looked at pre revenue SPAC mergers. So a company, a set of higher growth, um, higher expectation situations that, um, and the valuations through last year went up significantly. So Q, Q1, the median valuations of those pre-revenue was closing at around eight to 900 million. It peaked at about 1.3, 1.4 um, in the third quarter. So again, there's a delay in terms of when they were announced and closed. And now they're back to where they started. And so I think that it's, a, it's just an indicator that there is a self-correction that, that we're, we'll get back to valuations that make sense And, but we're not, and there'll be a slowdown certainly in activity, but I, I'm very optimistic that what we're seeing across our growth industries is so disruptive that that there might be a pause, but this is, I would characterize it as a pause. So
1: how do you see those private companies in those disruptive industries um, financing themselves in the near term? Uh, given kind of this shift,
0: and Grant, maybe, let me just take a make a macro point there, and I'd love to have you talk about the actual funding. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is um, we see this in lots of markets, right? We're talking about private now, but we could be talking about the convertible market, the IPO market. Whatever. When when things do well for a long time, accidental tourists show up, and what we were seeing for the last three years in late stage private, for example, were people that were not skilled in private ownership, nor were they set up to have long-term hold periods. So for example, a hedge fund that has, you know, basically daily or monthly or quarterly liquidity owning significant portions of private companies, right? Those are, again, I would use that, the term accidental tourists for that. That's not their core area. Those folks have run away, right? They're not gonna be the predominant investor in late stage privates. So what's happened is, we're rolling back to the experts in an area are the ones who'll be pricing deals. And so we've taken some of the froth away, public markets trade off, therefore the private market ends up trading off. But what's interesting is there is so much capital still available within dedicated private funds that I think there'll still be a very interesting market. What's interesting, Grant, is are the deals changing? Like how does that impact the deal? Taking some investors away, what does it mean for investors and for the companies?
2: It does. So I, I was actually make a similar point that long-term privates are meant for long-term capital vehicles. I do think that some of what we ran into and and why some of the, we're having a little bit of difficulty is that many funds got away from that. And so they had a 10% hold for privates and the rest of their portfolio went down by half. Now they have a 20% and that now they have to reset. And so I think those are real issues and it does take some time to unwind that dynamic. So- I certainly see it and I think it's a really good point. I also think in our in our business, we have, um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a number of private situations and looking for, for equity. And we really mer- went over to our SPAC business and there was a really good SPAC because based on the way the market was. We're seeing that a little bit in reverse now where the SPAC market may not be quite as robust as it was the last time we all chatted. And so we're seeing really good opportunities go from that market back to the traditional private equity placement market. And so to us, I don't think, you know, it makes a difference for talent. Like we'll find you the right type of capital that makes sense at the time. We see right now the largest interest and backlog in our private equity placement business. Then Then I have seen in my 13 years account. And I think that is very much on par. And and I do think that you know we have to be careful because there's there is a, a pause, but again, good value, long-term capital will find them. And I'm very optimistic about that part of the market. Right. And and I'm gonna dovetail with,
1: with that point, Grant, for a second, because I guess this is we're running out of time. So I wanted to kind of You've talked a, a little bit about some of the types, how the market is kind of reshaped uh, for those private companies. And Larry, you talked a little bit about um, you know, the, the expectation you have for some of those recent public companies potentially doing some acquisitions or strategic transactions. Talk a little bit more, Larry, if you would, about uh, what you're seeing in this, in this current environment in terms of strategic dialogue.
0: So I think one of the elements that we really started seeing picking up two, three years ago, and maybe uh, it was part and parcel of what Grant just highlighted, which is by having a very robust um, private capital markets effort that crosses equity, debt, we're seeing deals come together that we hadn't envisioned five years earlier. An example of that would be in the private market, the equivalent of a um, syndicated commitment for uh, an M&A deal. So if you think about, if a large company is doing an M&A deal, they work with their lead banks, they line up a $10 billion facility, right, to fund the deal. What we've now seen, and we've done a bunch of, is working with a, a company on, it could be private to private. We've done some which are reverse mergers, where the private company is merging with a public company. And, but to get that done, they need new capital. And so what, we're, what we would do in those situations is have a private debt dialogue with, the, with club lenders regarding their ability to fund that, at the same time lining up, if it's equity, private equity, if it's a public company, a pipe, um, in order to fund it. And then when we announce the deal, the entire capital structure has been funded, all, all done obviously under NDA, confidentiality, et cetera. We think, again, that's just one example, that's the kind of market we're in. It's, it's that, you know, Grant can talk maybe for a second about CMPOs and what we think is gonna happen there. But it's the same thing where um, people don't wanna take the market risk when they announce an important transaction. So they basically end up having to do pre-marketing under confidentiality and NDA. Grant, I'll kick a tee for yeah, that. Yeah, no,
2: I think that's exactly right. So we're seeing, so the, 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 the tact outcome more tactics. I remember what we're saying is be careful. So that's test of waters for IPOs, that's confidentially marketed transactions for public issuers. That's looking to other sources, like at the market offerings, which is a really big business for us, that were and actually, we, you know, you see some big blocks of interest come through. You know there are buyers out there, and you get information and, and also being able to, to sell. And then you look at other products as well. And you know, again, I will go to convertibles or structured equity where you can do things in what I would say a more tactical way for the environment that we're in today. Great uh, guys.
1: I know we've run out of time. I know that field goal kickers coming on for that last uh, play of the game. So we got the Super Bowl coming up. So enjoy again, Grant and Larry, thanks so much for, for the time. It was a robust discussion and look forward to next
2: time. Me too, but look, the next time, unless the lockout persists, I'll try to make an analogy of the Red Sox, which is not going to be quite as strong for me, but I'll do my best. Well, great.
0: And on behalf of, of Cowan uh, and our listeners, David, thanks again for being such a wonderful host and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.